I'm Charlotte Dukes and you're listening to MPLH Down Under. Your one-stop shop for all the key moments, standout performances and more from the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Welcome to episode two of MPLH Down Under. And then there were eight. So we're into the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. And the round of 16 saw shocks, historic moments and lots of drama. So we're here to give you the lowdown on MPLH. I'm delighted to be joined by Holly Hogan, a senior designer at the Premier League who's worked with UEFA and ESPN to name a few. She's also an ex-semi-pro footballer who's played for Villa, Wolves, QPR and Brentford. So before we kick off, I'm going to run through some of the key stats from the round of 16. First up, Colombia are the first South American nation in 12 years to reach the quarterfinals of the Women's World Cup. Secondly, the USA crashed out of the round of 16, being beaten by Sweden on penalties. And this is the first time in Women's World Cup history that they've not made it to the semifinals. In terms of goalkeeping, the USA's Alyssa Neher became the first goalkeeper to take and convert a penalty in a men or women's World Cup shootout. When it comes to goal scoring, Japan currently possess the highest tournament goal scorer, Hinata Miyazawa, with five goals. And last but not least, my final and my favourite stat of the tournament so far is Chloe Kelly's winning penalty versus Colombia, which was the fastest shot recorded at the Women's World Cup at 111 kilometres an hour. And her penalty was more powerful than any shot in last year's Premier League season. So Holly, lots to talk about in the round of 16. Let's start off with your favourite fixture from the tournament so far and why. So I think my favourite fixture is obviously Sweden-USA, just because the absolute pure chaos of it and the aftermath that followed um and obviously that that penalty and the scenes in the Sweden in the Swedish dressing room afterwards were just iconic um so yeah that would be my favorite fixture yeah and I think just watching that fixture for the whole game the USA looked like they were all over Sweden and you had some of the young talent the Sophia Smiths the Trinity Robbins of the team absolutely peppering the goalkeeper, so Muzovic, who once again has to get a shout out for performance levels in this tournament. Shout out keepers in this tournament. Yeah, yeah, shout out keepers generically. But I think it comes down to the, the notion that ultimately you can have an incredible attacking performance, but if you're not converting those into goals, you are leaving your tournament and the, the fate of your team in, in this World Cup to the forces of penalties, which, as we saw, didn't go in the USA's favour. And I think there's probably a broader question here about the USA coming into this tournament, because this is the earliest exit that they've ever had in World Cup history for the women's team. Do you think that they were perhaps a bit arrogant coming into the tournament as a team? I think so. I think you've just got to look at the outfits they turned up in to realise that. Like the Martin Rose suits, the ski, the ski sun visors, the Nike Shark high heels. Um, and just the pure sense of entitlement, I feel. Um, I feel like they were speaking about being in the final before the tournament even kicked off. Like, and that would obviously, regardless of appearing arrogant, that would rile up the other teams and make them play like it was a final against you in every single game. 
because yeah i think it was a, a holland player said that didn't you say yes bye when they went out like it's just everyone hates them like just because of their pure arrogance um but yeah and when when rapino missed her penalty she laughed and for me that was just all about it it just showed me that was it was all about her and her mind that she was laughing about how bad it was for her it wasn't about the team and how she let her na- she didn't let her nation down but you would feel that as a player like you would you would look upset right but for her yeah. it was all about how it was a dark comedy because it was her last game um yeah. which clearly showed the the mindset that it was it was quite a selfish reaction in my point of view yeah and i think it was very much that main character energy and i think that perhaps feeds into the narrative we're now seeing after their tournament departure that actually there's a new paradigm of football now there are teams that can compete at every level like regardless of where they've previously played in historical tournaments and ultimately you have to gel as a team to play well you can have star players left right and center but if you're not linking up properly as Norway found as well I think the Norwegian team on paper have some of the most talented players in the world but they didn't gel on the day and in a tournament like a a World Cup you just don't have any lenience to make those mistakes no and I feel for me the USA team were in between like a transitional period you you still had Rapino clinging on because I feel like she wanted to have that last hurrah but then you had like five players that were in the early 20s I feel like they either should have chosen to go completely young or stick with experience I feel like the it was all I feel like their storyline was about Rapino and I feel that maybe put a big shadow or a lot more it wasn't about the USA it was about Rapino and I feel like that was probably as well as as well as what what Carly Lloyd said in the aftermath about the difference between the squad's respect and um, the squad desire now that from when she played to now I feel like that was a big factor Um, she was saying that in and around the training ground the respect for like masseuses the, the ground staff like people 17 10 years ago would like show up to appointments these days the players if their name's down you've got an appointment at 10 they won't show up and they won't let them know so it's little things like that that matter mm-hmm. and that count. It might seem small, but I feel like I don't know what I don't know why that's happening. I don't know whether it's like the fame, the arrogance that comes with the women's game growing. But um, I also don't want that to become a, a talking point, really, or a, or that to come into the conversation of women shouldn't be be getting famous or getting paid because it re- reduces their desire. So it's it's a bit of a difficult one to suss out what the what the cause is of why they crashed out really. Yeah, and I think it is exactly that. It's the cohesion that you feel, not just as a football team, but actually how do the support staff feel? You know, when you're going to these big tournaments, is it one team, one dream, or is it, you know, we've got three or four key players that we need to look after and that the press are interested in and the rest don't feel as as though they're in the fold and as you say, the people who are off the pitch as well don't feel like they have that energy um, and respect towards them too so I think it does really represent you know the paradigm shift that we're seeing in this tournament and it probably is a good way to to lead us to the next question which is 
you know, we've seen players who have never performed on the world stage before basically becoming giant killers within fixtures. Have there been any players that have particularly impressed you who you're keeping an eye out for for the quarterfinals? Yeah, but before I get on to players, I'd, like, I want to mention specific teams because I feel like years ago or the past few World Cups, teams haven't, have had no identity. But now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm watching Nigeria, who I don't know any players that play for Nigeria. I'm watching Colombia and they have... They have a team identity where it's pure passion, desire, and they're shocking teams because it's like when a team gets promoted, you don't know what they're about. Like, so the first time you play them, you don't know how to, how they're going to play. So I feel like as, as the women's team, as the women's sport evolves, you're going to get more and more shocks because teams are an unknown quantity at the moment. So you're going to get these shock results, or they're not even shock results, but it's just people are basing the World Cup on past history where the games the game evolves so fast you you just can't do that anymore um yeah but in terms of specific players obviously Colombia's Casado scored that wonder goal so she's very exciting to watch um so it's about how she handles the pressure now and if she can keep up that level of performance um she didn't look like she could in the game after she she scored I felt like it looked it weighed quite heavy on her um, yeah. But obviously she's 18, so it's you can't expect too much. Um, Lauren James obviously was going to be my answer. But yeah, we won't delve in too much about what happened there. Um, yeah. But yeah, but the, the main player for me is Kenza Dali of France. I feel like watching her is just a joy. The way she links up play in midfield, the way she interlinks play, she's she goes in between the lines. She's always shown for the ball, creating triangles. She knows what she's going to do with the ball before she gets it. Like the three ball she puts through for the summer, unreal. Like, and she's like on the edge of the box, pulling back, ready for the cutback. She, she, she's always there. I just feel like she's a joy to watch. And mm-hmm. um, it might be a bit biased for me, but I just love watching number 10s or central midfielders play. Kira Walsh is up there as well, but she would she would obviously be a standout player as well, but I think she's playing half injured, isn't she? So she's not at that level. Exactly that. And it's interesting that you mention um Ken Zadali because I think it's fair to say the French side have truly grown into the tournament and now they've got that more gelled style of playing. You can see those link ups between a Wendy Reynard, who's just such a, a legend of the game and is just a complete weapon with her height advantage and the way that she can read balls coming into the box. When you have players like Kenza Dali actually feeding into her and you've got players like Diani, who are super young, momentum-type players, it's yeah, she's a cheat code. be excited about that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I feel that's what England are lacking. Like every time I watch England, I feel like they're so it gets to 60 minutes and like a button switches and their fatigue just kicks in. And... Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're like passing it to Russo, giving absolute hospital balls or lifting up to her, making it impossible for her to, to control or hold the game up. And there's no one there. No one's got the fitness to like get the second ball. We've just got no outlet at the moment or build up play after 60 minutes. But I feel like when you compare us to the French team and teams like Colombia, the passion and desire are there. But it's I just don't feel like we're fit enough. I, I don't know what I don't know why, but. We're just so fatigued. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way of playing because I think a Japanese style of play, a Spanish style of play, 
is such that you have that composure, but you don't have that complacency. England sometimes feel complacent and it's really worrying as a fan to watch that because you're never comfortable. You're never comfortable that, you know, our defensive line aren't just going to randomly spill it to our opposition attack. There's none of that yeah. sort of, we're sitting back, we're playing comfortably, we're gaining posi- possession, we're, we're building momentum within the game. It's just never comfortable. And it's I don't not, know if that's actually like a brand for England. Yeah, exactly. I think it's probably... Yeah. You know, see that in the men's game as well it's that that feel, feel, feeling that you get as an English fan that it's never going to be an easy watch it's not as an England fan we know we're going to have most of the possession in the game because you know we've got top level players but when we lose the ball and we're getting attacked there's so many gaps in the defense like there's been so many times where I've seen us getting attacked and I can't see the, the central one of the one of the two central defenders are just not in the picture and I'm like where where are you like where where have you gone and it's either Millie Bright or whoever else is there but it's I think Millie Bright's playing half injured as well like so I feel like the the sweeper is so important for us so I feel like replacing Lauren James I wouldn't go like for like I would help the defense out a bit more I would play Jordan Nobbs I would play um, Kira Walsh as the sweeper and yeah. Nobbs and Stanway in midfield. Interesting. Cause, because it it brings me back to when Aston Villa lost Jack Grealish and we bought three players to replace him. We didn't just buy a number 10. We bought a winger, a central mid and a striker. Like You can't you can't replace Lauren James with, with Ella Toon. You just can't do that straight swap because she can't do what Lauren James can do. They're different players. So I feel like a system change is needed, especially when we have so many gaps in defence. Yeah, completely. And I think it will be a big challenge to Serena going into even the match versus Colombia. Because once again, you know, the narrative going into the England-Nigeria game was, you know, how many goals are each player going to get? You know, we're going to breeze through this round. We're thinking about who we're going to be playing in the semifinals, if Australia, if it's going to be France. And really, it was, I mean, the woodwork was playing in our favour because Nigeria hit the the post, the crossbar on numerous occasions during that match. I don't think we necessarily deserved to win in we match didn't. time. And no, it was daylight like rivalry, really. We were very fortunate in penalties. I think very, very fortunate. We were fortunate, but I thought the, the penalties was, <laughs> the, the penalty that Chloe Kelly scored was outrageous. Like, Oh. For, a, for, for a winning penalty, the pressure, to, to do that hop as well, like, come on, <laughs> and then fire it, like, with that speed in the top corner. It was just pure class. And it really showed the world what women's football is about and where it's going. Because not many Premier League footballers could do that, you know. No, I think, I always think of Chloe Kelly as a bit of a talisman. She she has these real moments of brilliance. And once again, she is part of that cohort of young players coming up through the system. She's got so much more to give and she has so much more to develop. But you have these flashes of, she actually reminds me a bit of a Phil Foden in how she plays, these sort of real quick plays, like her ball possession is incredible. She can run into the box pretty much unhampered and get past three players. and it's yeah, and she's amazing. so strong as well. She is. I don't think we've seen the best of her in open play yet. Um, I'm still pretty optimistic that 
going into the final hopefully stages of the tournament that we will see those those flashes of brilliance actually convert into more goals more assists for her but she's definitely got a promising future um which which we just love to see as fans um obviously this tournament has been full of surprises for a number of reasons whether it's big teams being knocked out whether it's players shining on the world stage who we've never seen before have there been any surprises for you any notable elements of the tournament um across the board it can be anything really that's impressed you so far um i'd say the nigerian team have surprised me but i've already spoken about them but um yeah. as a whole goalkeepers have really stood out to me the level the, the increase of performance level has been has been incredible like every game i feel like the goalkeepers one of or even man of the match or very close to be man of the match the handling, the kicking, the saves have just been incredible. Completely agree with you. And perhaps it's it's testament to the investment in training and bringing through these goalkeepers, yeah. actually taking them seriously. It's such a shame, I think, on the on the press side that Mary Earps had to come out and essentially call out Nike for not actually selling the goalkeeping kit when this was the perfect opportunity they'd obviously advocated very strongly for the women's tournament and they'd invested a lot in your kind of more mainstream outfield players and their platforms going into the tournament that to to see the goalkeepers perform at such a high level and really be the pivotal players within pretty much every single fixture of the tournament so far to not have those kits on sale broadly feels like a bit of a a bit of a waste to be honest i know these companies talk a lot but you know the proof is is in the pudding isn't it so mm-hmm. they nike better sell the, the shirts after this tournament if not that they have to right like they can't not yeah. because she's been outstanding point. and like it just it just shows people that goalkeepers don't matter and they're not worthy of buying a shirt and what what if you're a little girl in, and you want to become a goalkeeper and you can't buy the shirt it just it's really not great but yeah it's after this tournament though because of the performances of the goalkeepers hopefully that will change yeah i think so too and there has to be that pressure and i think it probably is a good a good time for competitors like an adidas of humor to actually put the foot down and say right we're going to compete here and we're going to make a point of it in our campaign um, you know, that would probably be the smart thing to do on a business element. Um, so I think perhaps yeah. if ne- next up we go through the, the fixtures for the quarterfinal and if we go through our predictions for who's going to win each fixture, because it's always quite a fun thing to do, um, even though it's kicking off very early tomorrow morning, so 2am slot for the Spain versus the Netherlands. Um, so that fixture, what do you think is the outcome there? Who's going through? to the semis from Spain and Netherlands? Uh, even though we're in a Spain top, I think Netherlands will go through because I feel like all the Spanish goals come from set pieces and the Netherlands team are quite a tall team. And um, yeah, that's my logic for that. Um, I feel like score-wise, 2-1 Netherlands. Strong. I think it's a tough one. I think I think Spain might nick it but I think it's going to be close. I think we'll see a one goal differential to Spain. I think they will up their game. And I think they will have to realise that you can't just depend on set plays. I think 
you can see the likes of Mbon Mati, you know, the kind of the drive, the brilliance that they can have. If they switch it on tomorrow, I think they, they will win. But I think it was going to be a small margin. And there's every chance that we end up in, in a penalty situation again. Um, and then up next tomorrow as well, Japan versus Sweden. Oh, Japan, 100%. Yeah, I reckon it will... 3-0 Japan, I think. Yeah, I agree. They've, they've just played so well. They've got such a good style of play. They're so quick. They're so pacey. They've got a low centre of gravity. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Japan have been the one team where they look as cool as anything. They look composed. They have everything together. They don't sweat if they concede. And I just love their game, their style of football. I think it's a really refreshing style that we've seen in this tournament that I, I want them to go far in the tournament because I want them to be used as the, the model for how to play yeah. football. Yeah, and also I, I want to see the kit more as well. They, they deserve to win purely for the away kit. <laughs> oh, absolutely divine kit. And to be fair, the... The Colombian kit as well, absolutely stunning. It it looks like a galaxy. It looks like some some sort of space space odyssey kit. Adi, Adidas um, smashed it. Yeah, absolutely. Can't can't disagree there. Um, okay, so next fixture: England versus Colombia. So I'm going Colombia. I feel like England will not have the desire or the hunger. I feel like South American teams are renowned for their passion and their doggy dogness if that's a word, um, you know, they've got the grit. And I just feel like England will, will tire, especially without James's magic as well. We don't have that player that can produce that bit of magic, I don't feel, unless Stanway turns it on or, you know, Chloe Kelly turns it on. I just, I can't see us getting past them. In terms, I think in knockout football as well, it's all about who wants it more. In 50-50s, like in terms of, if you're going for a 50-50, Colombia win it every time. Yeah. Based on, if you're basing it on current performance at this World Cup. Yeah. And I think, as you say, it's, I think the game will come back, come down to that want, that desire. And there's so much skin in the game for Colombia here because they are setting world records for their nation left, right and centre. And why, why take the foot off the gas? I think England's tournament so far has just been a bit meh. It's not been consistent. We've not really found no. a stride. We had that sort of, you know, silky China fixture, which was fantastic. But we then lost all that spark versus Nigeria and we got really frustrated. And you can see very visibly when England are frustrated, you can see it in our body language. You can see it in yeah, the, the attitude of the players. We don't come together very well when things aren't going great because we've not had many opportunities to no. pick ourselves back up um no. so it's, it's, it's very clear to me that we don't have a leader we don't have a leader on the pitch now that Williamson's gone yeah. um and I feel like that with the pace that Columbia player I'm thinking in my head we've got Casado against Millie Bright she'll run rings around her like or Casado versus Jess Carter like I'm just scared <laughs> like yeah. they're they're our defence versus their forward line and, and their like quick passing of play and our fatigue. Yeah, I just I, that's just how I see it. I just cannot see a way that we could win that game currently. Yeah. So I'm I'm going for the 
the very ambitious optimism of an English of course. fan into this fixture. And I I'm Irish. England, win. <laughs> <laughs> England will win in extra time and it won't be a comfortable match and it will be scrappy. I think it will be very scrappy and I think we will see cards. I think we, the biggest danger probably for both teams is going to be the discipline side of things. Um, so watch this space for, for that one. I think that's going to be a great fixture. So finally, this is, I'm once again, this is going to be a good battle. France versus Australia. That'll be an amazing game. An amazing game. I couldn't call it. I mean, Australia with Sam Kerr and France, their whole, their whole team. Um, but obviously yeah. Australia, the home nation, Like I just feel like it, it's just going to be a spectacle and I think it might go to extra time penalties. It, it'll be a very, very tight game. But yeah. if I had to choose, I'd probably say I'd go for France. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Sam Kerr, it'll be amazing if she can get the game time. I worry for her in the same way that you worry for uh, a Kira Walsh or a Millie Bright in terms of you do have in the back of your mind the fact that you've picked up an injury. You're not firing all in on all cylinders because you have been injured and the media can cover it up as much as they like but as a player and you know you've you've probably experienced this too that if you have that worry that fear that you're going to get re-injured you won't go in 100% to your challenges you won't you won't throw yourself in to the extent that you probably should on the world stage because you're worried about your longevity and ultimately these players don't want to see themselves out for the next season um so I'm going with France too I think they are building so well into this tournament um, I love the way that they express themselves. Yeah, and I think it totally. took a bit of time. It took a bit of time. And I think Hervé Renard, um, as a manager as well, I mean, I'm super biased because I just really like his style. But I think he's really given them a space to express themselves. And you have some top, top players in, in that mix. Yeah. And I mean, the French women's national team have had some chaotic internal politics in recent years haven't they so I feel like yeah. they've finally ironed that all out and it's it's showing on the pitch and they've finally got yeah. a style of play like they've sorted it out in the dressing room didn't they get their that they ousted their manager their previous one there was like yeah. dressing room unrest and everything so I feel like exactly. it's, it's finally clicking they're they're in their clicking era yeah and we love that for them and I think it it has just been a theme of the tournament in terms of internal politics, politics between players and federations, between federations and countries, which has been a shame. But I think France are a really good model for a situation in which there has been that discontent and the players have been vocal and the players have re they've ousted a manager that didn't work for them. And unfortunately, the Spanish federation, it's, it's much more of a struggle, which is why we haven't seen three or four of Spanish, you know, of Spain's best players and um, playing which actually could have been pivotal for them for this tournament you know it could have been the margin that might win or lose in the world cup so it goes to show how important those conversations are within teams and how much of a difference it can actually make for a tournament and it's a shame that it has to be that way um but we just hope that things get resolved um, in the best way that they can so perhaps yeah. final question for you uh, before we wrap up and it's a big question, uh, but who is going to win the Women's World Cup 2023 and why? So 
I'm going to go wild and say Colombia. Yeah, it's either France or Colombia, but I feel like nobody, they're an unknown quantity and mm -hmm. no one knows how to play against them. And they've got the grit, the South, the South American grit. I'm just, I'm just into it, you know? Yeah. It's new. It's different. It's pacey. It's energetic. It's passionate. It's a World Cup win that we would love to see. And as you say, that they're up for breaking records and they want to keep that up, that they've got that fire in their belly now and they've got a taste of it and they want more. So, yeah, all power to them. And hopefully it will be England, but I just, yeah, can't see it. Yeah, I think I'm... So this time last week, if you asked me, I um, would have responded the USA, which I did. And... So now when I rethink, you know, who who now stands in good stead, it probably, for me, it's a toss-up between Japan and France. They, those are my two teams. Um, Japan, I would love to see winning the tournament because of the way that they've played their football and because of the etiquette they've had on and off the pitch. You know, a real deserving win, um, in my opinion, and also just the new model of football. I'm I'm always happy to see. And then France, it would just be a really excellent story of growth throughout the tournament and cohesion as a team um and obviously England is just something of dreams for me uh, apart from being gutted that I wouldn't be there to watch it unless I could find some sort of sketchy last minute flight to, to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you told me you told me a month ago that you'd get a ticket if we got to the final <laughs> I better eat my hat and uh, get the ticket there yeah. and uh, do a nice weekend trip to to Sydney I guess I mean it would be very tempting a world a world cup final but imagine going all that way and England losing as well that would be devastating it'd be typical yeah it would be very classic um right so that rounds us up for this MPLH episode two the review of the round of 16 Holly you have been a delight thank you very much for your time and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the tournament thanks for having me thank you Okay. Thank you for listening and see you next time on MPLH Down Under.